Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Gosh. You know, it's maybe the pastor's dream that a church is full of sinners. However, I'd like to see some redemption taking place, I have to be honest. If, uh, if I'm struggling to speak today, obviously you can tell I got nailed with this cold. So just forgive me as we go through this morning. But let's pray. Father, I just pray that your hand would be upon us, that you'd guide us, that you'd speak to us through your word. As we take a look at culture and take a look at scripture, uh, we know that your story is prevalent. So open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes, maybe to see not only ourselves, but to see you in all that we do. And we just commit this morning to you in your name. Amen. Now I want to welcome you. My name is Jerry. I'm the lead pastor here at Seoul. And if you're new to Seoul, we usually just pick a book of the Bible and we sort of just walk through it. And for the past little while, we've been walking through the book of Matthew. And for the next few weeks, as a matter of fact, I'm actually planned to go for three months on the topic of God in the movies. Um, however, we might be going back and forth in and out of Matthew. And uh, I'll just throw that out there just so that you know. Now, if you're new to the concept of church, you're probably thinking, you know, movies and church? Like, really? You know, for a lot of years, uh, whether you know this or not, uh, many churches, many Christians spent a lot of time telling people not to go to movies. That's how I was raised, that the, the theater was a bad place to be. You shouldn't go there. If Jesus returned and the rapture happened, of course, and you were in a movie theater, you'd get stuck in the ceiling. You wouldn't be able to get up. You know, that'd be it. And yet now we have people watching movies before they come to church. And uh, it wasn't too long ago that we as Soul Sanctuary did church in movie theaters, if you remember that. So, so where is God on the big screen is the question. And whether people intend to or not, I'm of the mind that God's story, it sneaks into places. His salvation story and truth sneaks in all over the place, including the movies that we watch in the theater or even uh, on TV and God is really almost like a silent character in every story. In almost every story, we tell God's, we can see that God's story is present. In the history of the world, there are actually three stories. Uh, um, there's, there's my story, there's your story, and there's, there's God's story. And the interesting thing is, is that they all intermingle. And you can help people find God in their story where God has already been active. Because God is already at work in people's lives all the time. Sometimes we don't feel that way, but the fact is he is. There are those times where you maybe have been having a conversation with somebody and maybe you've said that. Have you ever thought that God was doing that? Have you ever thought that maybe God was allowing this door to open or whatever? And many times when we watch a movie, it resonates as if it's telling our story or at least a portion of it. Now, for those of you who are new or are still trying to wonder about this whole thing, let me lay out some of the thinking of this series and maybe answer a few common questions. <clears throat> the, the, our God in the movies, or God on the big screen, whatever we call it, is not a critique of the movie, just so you're aware of that. I, I think there's a place for that, but that's not what we do on a Sunday morning. It's it, it, it's not a lightweight fluff series. I remember the first, one of the first times I started doing this, some of the feedback I was getting was, do you hear what they're doing at Soul Sanctuary? All they do is sit in church and watch movies. I'm thinking, no, seriously? Um, 
you know, we're not taking a break t- from talking about serious biblical stuff and having a little fun. But what I've noticed over the years, a lot of my life lessons in God and the movies have actually been the most theologically laden talks I've given. And so uh, it's not an endorsement of uh, everything in the movie or anyone is making, you know, hey, you need to watch this movie we stand for. We're not doing any of that. We look at the movies as a story. We're looking at them as a piece of art. So you may ask the question, well, why are you doing a series? Or better yet, you know, why are you using R-rated movies in church? Well, I get asked that question at least once every time I do it. And I understand that there's a point being made there. And uh, I think we have to keep in mind that, uh, um, <laughs> that the choice to use a particular movie is always a judgment call. And that's a judgment call that I'm comfortable with. I, I ask myself many times, what's the redemptive value of any particular film that I watch? Uh, in asking that, um, you also have to look at the negative elements as well. And sometimes there's a film that has a wonderful redemptive message, but has enough objectionable elements that I can't use it. Sometimes there are movies that don't have anything that people would be offended by, like rough language, violence, sexual themes, or content, etc., But really, the movie has nothing to say. And then there are tough judgment calls. And uh, so far, I can honestly say that there's not one movie that we have chosen to use that I regret over the whole time that we've done this. So, but why R-rated? Let me speak more directly to the rating thing. Um, The people that rate movies are not rating them as redemptive pieces of art. They... uh, So when you simply go by ratings, you expose yourself to messages that are horrible on the one hand, and on the other hand, you might miss films that are amazing and biblical and even beautiful, if I could put it that way. A great example of that would be a movie like Shawshank Redemption. Uh, It has some incredibly brutal stuff related to prison life. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But it also has a truckload of biblical themes, and is probably one of the most beautiful stories of hope that I've seen on screen. So, Jerry, you're saying that uh, my family and I should watch these movies. No, no. Um, we all have different sensibilities and values. I, I'll never forget, we were in another church. I'm going to cough, Gary. We're in another church, and we had a life group, and we had all the kids and family over, and my kids grew up on Shrek. Now, that was just what it is, I'm sick and twisted as we all are. So I remember the kids were all downstairs, and the adults were all upstairs, and all of a sudden, a young boy came upstairs, and, well, what's going on? Because I knew my kids threw Shrek in on the TV, and the little boy said, my parents won't let me watch this movie. Well, you know, the first response was, oh, you got to be kidding. You know, what kind of loser are your parents? No, you know, we didn't do anything. We recognized that different families have different values, and that's okay. Let's go downstairs. We'll find something that you you know, your parents will let you do, and you let the mockery of the children run its own course. But uh, we understand that uh, every family is different, and you need to hold on to your values and, and respect that. And just because we're examining a movie doesn't mean that we're encouraging you to watch something that might offend you or, you know, that we're encouraging certain behaviors. Why are you saying this? Well, because people are stupid, and I have to clear everything out. I really do. 
And so I'm of the mind that you need to make informed decisions if you want to subject yourself to any of the issues that you see on screen and that uh, there are many tools out there to actually give you insight before you watch a movie, believe it or not. Screen it, plugged in, or just two. Rotten Tomatoes is great as well, obviously. But uh, I would encourage you, you know, before you watch any movie and you have your own sense of stuff that you can handle and that you can't, just do your research. Because any good movie actually points us to the human condition. And as we'll see in again this morning when we look at this movie, Creed. Now, in order to get the full understanding of this movie, you need to be somewhat familiar with the Rocky anthology of six other films. Now, if you're sitting here and you're saying to yourself, I have no idea who Rocky is and what the Rocky movies are all about, I have nothing for you. My whole week has just been wasted on you. I just want you to know that. The first Rocky movie happened over 40 years ago. I, I have to say, who remembers when it first came out? Okay, there's a few of you here. Okay, great. Now, I remember it today. Everybody wanted to fight after watching the movie. It was great. I still remember. You came out swinging. You came out singing the Rocky tune. You know, and whether you want to admit it or not, Rocky is still, 40 years later, a cultural icon. You know, whether uh, the slogans like, yo, yo, that didn't happen in the ghetto. That was Rocky. Yo, Adrian. Yo, Adrian. You literally hang down like that. Adrian. Um, I pity the fool. Oh, yeah, that's Mr. T. Yeah, it was Mr. T. James Clubber Lang, who played, you know, it was Mr. T who played in one of the Rocky movies. You know, not to mention if you jogged up any set of stairs, right, you finally reached the top. What would you do? You raised your hands. You did the victory dance. Da-da-da-da. Feeling strong now. Or puffing and hoping that the AED is really close. It depends on what you are. Now, if you watch the Rocky movies, I have to be honest. And, you know, when I watch these movies, I have to watch them over and over and over again. And uh, you can only take so many punches and sniffs after a while, right? Like, it just gets redundant. Um, But I have to appreciate, actually, in this movie that we're looking at, Sylvester Stallone plays the role of Rocky Balboa, obviously. He got nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, and he won the um, Best Supporting Actor Award at the Globe and Globe for this performance. Why? Because if you watch this whole movie, he does a fantastic job. You just get really warm on, on it. And I don't usually get that with Stallone. So today's film, Creed, is uh, rocky for the next generation, really, when you look at it. And as you watch it, you see that creed doesn't beat us over the head with preachy platitudes or political sermons, nah, but it jabs, it jabs, it, it, it jabs at our heartstrings. That's what it does. And uh, the ability to make us see ourselves or at least see part of ourselves in those who are kind of like us on the screen, even when they don't maybe look like us, this is what gives art the power to transform us if we let it. Now, the title of the movie refers to Apollo Creed, who was... Rocky Balboa's antagonist in the first two films, Adonis Creed, played by Michael B. Jordan, uh, in the mo- in this movie goes uh, by the name Donnie Johnson. Donnie is Apollo's illegitimate son. Donnie is angry. Uh, he finds himself at a young age going from foster home to foster home. His boxing skills were not forged in a gym, but in a juvenile detention brawls. But watch what happens as we're introduced to Donnie at the beginning of the movie. I'm sorry about your mother. 
I know what it's like to lose someone. When your father died, I was angry for so long. I hurt myself, pushed family away. I don't have no father. What did you say? I said I don't have no father. That's not true. He passed before you were born, but you had a father. You know him? He was my husband. Adonis, I would like it very much if you would come and stay with me. Do you think you'd want to do that? What was his name? You see, there's nothing worse in life when our sense of purpose and then our hurt from the past becomes so intertwined that our our past actually hijacks our purpose and promise of this life. You know, this, this opening scene actually sets the tone for the movie. You know, I don't have a father, he says. And, and then he ends it off by asking, what was his name? Matthew 16, uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who, you know, who do you say that I am? You know, who is Jesus? Who do we say that he is? Um, we'll never know until... Uh, who we are until we actually understand who Jesus is, who our creator is. And the starting point of really understanding who we are, when you think about it, is learning that we actually have this heavenly father and we know his name and he knows our name. Now, there are so many themes to work with here, but most importantly, I think one of the themes that really comes through this whole movie is the theme of identity. Who are we? Who are you? Now, where, where, where did we come from? Normal question that we ask, and why am I here? What, what's my purpose? You know, last week we looked at the fact that there are five essential, essentials of life uh, when it comes to finding our purpose. And if you want to go back, you can watch this online. Uh, the first one is to find power to live on. You know, we need a power source. You know, stress and conflict and everyday living will suck the life right out of us, does it not? Um, you know, where do you get the energy to keep on going when you feel like giving up? And I think the secret for power to live on really is to focus on God. And the more we focus on God, the more power you're going to have for life. It's, it's called the Holy Spirit, and he gives us that power. He gives us that life. And then secondly, we must find principles to live by. Because we need a thought-out philosophy of life. Do you have one of those? You know, we need, in this culture that we live in, a strong moral foundation. We need a conviction that gives us stability when life is confusing. You know, last week I mentioned what the pastor said in the Humble Bronco Memorial. And again, if you haven't watched it, go watch what a small town does for its people. You know, he asked the question, where is God? And, and numerous times he, he admitted that he had nothing and how he felt as a pastor in that. But when it came down to it, he had his faith. He had a moral foundation. He had a faith-based worldview. 
The third thing that we, you know, I encourage you to, to do is that we need to find people to live with because we need other people. Everybody needs somebody. We need God and we need each other. We need people. We need community. You don't necessarily have to like everybody, but you need to be friendly. You need to be open, but maybe find one or two people that you can walk with. The fourth thing was find a plan to live out. You know, we need a plan to live by. Um, uh, you can live it by design or you can live it by default. And in our culture today, you know, not a lot of people are living intentionally. They're living life accidentally. And they just go from moment to moment and not really sure what their plan or purpose is. And finally, we need to find a passion to live for. What's your passion? You know, we want our lives to count for something. I know I do. And many just live and die existing. Now, that's not what God has created us for. God created us for a purpose, for, for a meaning. He created us for a mission. And I believe that this film actually addresses all of those and more. So uh, Apollo's Creed's widow is played by Claire Huxtable. Okay? I mean Felicia Rashad, sorry. She brings Donnie back to this luxurious estate of uh, the father that he never knew who literally paid for it with his very life. And as the movie comes up to the present, you know, we, we're looking at Donnie and Donnie tries to convince himself that he's sort of content with his education, his white-collar job. But at night, or in the evenings or on the weekends, he sneaks off to Tijuana and he goes into these low-money-earning backstreet brawling fight clubs. And that's where he um, harnesses his boxing prowess. Eventually, Donnie can no longer stifle this urge uh, to follow his father's footsteps. And so he quits his job. And then Donnie hides the fact that he's actually related to Apollo Creed because he wants to do it on his own. But nobody wants to train him. So he heads to Philly and... He goes searching for Rocky, and he's hoping that Rocky will agree to train him. And this is what we find. How are you doing? This is taken from the 10th round of the first fight, right? Good call. How'd you know that? I heard about a third fight between you and Apollo. Behind closed doors. That true? How'd you hear about that? Who won? It's kind of a secret. What'd you say your name was? Don. Okay. Well, the girl said you wanted to talk about something? Yeah, I want to talk to you about training me. Training? <laughs> I don't do that stuff no more. Sorry about that. Listen, it's getting kind of late, kid, so I'm going to uh, close up. How good was he? Apollo? Yeah, he's great. He's a perfect fighter. Ain't nobody ever better. So how'd you beat him? Time beat him. Time, you know, takes everybody out. It's undefeated. Anyway, I got a lot of So when up. Mickey died, he came and talked to you, right? Talked you out of quitting. Took you to L.A. Trained you. Brought you back. How do you know all this? How do you think? What are you, like a cousin? He's my father. No, he is. I don't believe you. Call Marianne. Marianne, his wife. 
The house number still works. That's right. You haven't talked to her since the funeral. She said you gave a nice speech, though. Train me. All right, I need somebody solid, and who else better to go to? All right, you at least owe me that. I can tell the way you talk. You've been to school, you know, so I figure you got some brains. Why would you want to pick a fighter's life when you don't have to? If Apollo was around, he would tell you that too. Well, he ain't around. I've been fighting my whole life. I ain't got a choice. It's always about a choice. I was in the ring. I saw how it went down. That fight should have been stopped. I should have stopped it. Maybe you wanted to go out like a fighter. Maybe you did exactly what he wanted. I think he'd rather be here talking with you. The theme of name is, is huge in this movie. What is your name? But Donnie asks... Uh, he asked an interesting question in this scene. He says, how did you beat him? And I love what Rocky says. His response is, time beat him. Time is undefeated. Time takes everybody out. And again, it, that will enhance itself at the end of the movie. But listen to scripture as it speaks about time. Ephesians 5 says this. Wake up, sleeper, for rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but is wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You know, if, if you don't get any other takeaway this morning that I've worked at, take this away, especially if you're in the post-50 age bracket. You with me? What we do with our time is a test with both our walk and with our wisdom. What we do with our time will tell me if I'm awake for this greatest threat of evil. You know, when we think of the great threat of evil, you can fill in the blank. The great threat of evil is what ISIS, whatever, you know, whatever you want, fill in the blank. The primary point of evil is the failure to recognize uh, what we do with our time, and it just wastes away. We're given time, we're given a moment. And this verse gets it right when it tries to wake us up. Awake, wake up, it says. And what we do with our time is a test and the evidence of our walk and our wisdom that we hold. So older people, what are you doing with your time? Think about that. Back to the clip, I love the fact that Donnie recognized that he needed somebody in his corner. Not just anyone. And, and again, for the rest of us, we all need people in our corners. Uh, we all need others, but it's interesting. they got to be the right people. Um, Rocky is, is, is the poster child for being knocked down but never knocked out. I'm pretty sure there's going to be another thousand more movies coming. But like, like Rocky, Christians too, when we understand who we are and that we are in a fight, we're in a spiritual battle. Scripture is very clear on that. It's an out-and-out, knock-down, drag-out with the world, with trials and bad circumstances, our own fallen natures. And, and again, it's spiritual. The devil, there's stuff that's going on. Ecclesiastes says the two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, this is a great boxing metaphor. 
One can help the other up, but pity the fool. Oh, sorry, I don't know where that came in. Uh, Pity anyone who falls and has nobody else to help them up. Pity the fool. Now, some of you may realize right now that you have a battle and you're in a fight. And maybe that's what you're living. I'll just say this to you as you walk out. God did not design you to fight it alone. You know, Donnie says, I don't have a choice. It was really interesting. Rocky responds and he reiterates the the principles of scripture. He says, you always have a choice. You never lose the power to choose. That's actually what separates men from animals. You you ever get in a disagreement with somebody? And you you get it and you have that retort. Oh, you made me do that. You made me. Well, no, 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 no. No one makes you do anything. Whatever stupid that you and I are about to do, we choose to do it. You with me? And so God has actually given us the power of choice, and I get to choose even if I choose stupidly. In life, we're engaged in all these different types of fights. Now, if we're to be honest with ourselves, not all fights are worth fighting for. Have you ever picked a fight? Anybody? Oh, you're all angels, right? Oh, thank you for the honesty. Yeah, yeah. Any of you play hockey? Have you ever picked a fight? Yeah. Are you like Kenny the Rat Linsman, right? And you pick and run away, right? What's going on? March on, let me say it that way. Yeah. I remember growing up, my oldest brother is 13 years older than me. He's 13 years my senior, as I call him. Some call him my dad. (laughs) I use that to my advantage all the time. But he would always tease. He would always pinch me. Until one day in the 70s when having an open shirt and a hairy chest was fashioned for men. Well, my brother would come and would begin to tease and would begin to pinch me. And then one day it clicked. Oh, I don't know about this myself, but I understand that the hair on the chest of a man is very sensitive. <laughs> I grabbed a handful and I ran to my mother. Okay. <laughs> I remember my first fight in elementary school. To this day, I can even tell you his name, and he's a cop here in the city, so I will be very careful. I can't remember why we fought, but if I was to be honest about myself and my own choice is stupid, it was probably because I was teasing him. And I pushed him over the edge. Uh, Or what about watching other siblings fight? I have two boys, I, I won't say who they are, but they're the oldest two in my family. And uh, a number of years ago in the hockey, like each one of my boys, one's a, one's a Chicago fan, one's a uh, Red Wing fan, one is a Flyers fan, one is a Leaf fan, and the Flyers and the Leafs were in the playoffs a number of years ago. <laughs> and uh, they got totally unglued as they were playing against each other, and Philly beat uh, the Leafs. And a fight broke out in front of my TV set. (laughs) Right in front of me. Marriage has its petty fights as well, does it not? Take out the garbage, put out the trash, put the seat down, pick up your socks. Put the lid on the toothpaste. Right? There's a difference between a petty fight and a passionate fight. A fight that's worth fighting for. And, and so the question I want to ask you this morning, what is it that is worth fighting for? Better health, maybe. Maybe your family. Maybe your finances. Maybe you're seeing some sort of injustice. Uh, careers or, or serving God. What is worth fighting for in your life? 
Married folk, are you fighting for your marriage? Think about it. Not just an average marriage or a good marriage, but a great one. I, I want to fight for that. I want a great marriage. Parents, you know, we, we have to fight for our kids. God knows the, the, the world is going after them. And it's up to you as parents to encourage them, to love them, to support them, and to guide them. And none of the stuff ever happens on its own. We are so busy, though, sometimes that we don't seem to find the time or the energy to fight those fights, right? Because we're just tired. But those are the things that should normally be on our to-do list. We need to fight for personal authenticity. The real me. Who is the real you? Who has God created you to be? Who is it in your life that's worth fighting for? And if you, if you don't, my, my, my point to you would be is ask God to equip you to fight your fight. Scripture shows us that there are people called by God and that he equips them in Psalms 18.32. God equips us for his purpose and for his purpose in our lives. And so we need to be able to go to God in prayer and to be able to discern where he's calling us to be and what he's calling us to do. And then ask him to equip us so that we can live out his purpose for our life. And when we try to do, uh, pursue God's dreams for our lives, we, we can't do it on our own. We need somebody in our corner, and so Donnie asks Rocky to be in his corner. You know, when you look at it, we all need our support person. We all need a, a friend. We all need a family member. We all need a life group. We, we need somebody who speaks into your life. But unfortunately, in our culture today, it's so much more easier to give up on life, to, to give up on our relationships, to give up on our dreams, right? Let me encourage you this morning not to give up, but rather ask for help. Humble yourselves. Ask people to invest in your lives. You see it in the screen. We see it in Scripture. In the Old Testament, there's a story of these two prophets. One of the, and uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 God calls a young man to follow the footsteps of the prophet Elijah. So Elijah is this great prophet. And uh, it's interesting that, you know, him and God are pretty much, you know, they were there. They were tight. And the Lord speaks to Elijah. He says, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint that king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu over Israel. Anoint, though, Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, whatever, to succeed you as a prophet. So here, it's interesting. Here, if you're plus 50, you know, in essence, God is putting younger people behind us. What's our responsibility? God speaks very clearly to Elijah that there's this other guy named Elisha that I want you to go and mark out. I have a plan. I have a purpose for his life. And so God has this plan, and he does for you and for me as well. And then we pick it up in verse 19 where it says, So Elijah, he went from there and he found Elisha, who was plowing with 12 yokes of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. So it's, this is a big farm, basically what it's saying. He went up to him and he took his cloak and he put it over him. Elisha then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah, and he said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. So obviously Elijah is this well-known person, and by putting that cloak or that mantle over his shoulder, Elisha knew what was going on here. He 
says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and, and then I will come to you. Elijah says, go back, you know, whatever. So Elisha left him, went back, kissed his mom and dad, took his yoke of oxen, and had a barbecue. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and then he gave it to the people, and they ate. He then set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. I'm wondering what Elisha was thinking when when this was taking place because God is calling this young man to be a prophet. I wonder if Elisha was thinking if, if this was worth fighting for. To pursue God's call and, and to be this prophet. Because there were some things that he had to leave behind. In the movie, it was interesting. When you watch the movie, Donnie had to leave things behind too to pursue his dream as a fighter. He left his mom. He left his home. He left his job. He left his city. Why? To uh, pursue his dream. Here in the scriptures, Elisha leaves his parents. He leaves his land that he would have inherited one day. He leaves power. Now remember, there were 12, yoke, 12 pairs of oxen. That was a huge farm. This guy, it was a wealthy land. He leaves it all behind. Why? To follow God's call. Elijah puts his mantle on his shoulders. And again, that was the way to say, I'm going to train you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to guide you. And it's much like what Rocky eventually agrees to do with Donnie. You know, when we try to pursue God's purpose in our lives and we are trying to fight for our relationships or we're fighting for our marriages or our health or our finances and all those things, you know what? You can't do it on your own. We can't be independent. We need people in our corner. And you don't want just anybody in the corner. You actually want the right person. And you don't want that person to give up on you when things get tough, when things get messy. But rather, they're going to stick with you through the thick and the thin. We need somebody who's going to believe in you. Who's in your corner? Who believes in you? And I... I, I thought about that personally, and it was my dad. My dad came to mind. He, he stood in my corner. My dad believed in me when I had a hard time believing in myself. Who's in your corner? Because we all have things in life worth fighting for, and, and maybe it's worth you know, a closer walk with God. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, your family. But when we decide to fight for something, we need, you and I need trusted, experienced people who can see what we are capable of when we can't see it ourselves. Somebody who can give us the truth whether or not we want to hear it and and when it's the most needed. Who's in your corner? I have to say that as a pastor of this church, the people that I feel are in my corner is our steering committee. Nine people who sit around the table and who I feel I got unbelievable support and encouragement, but at the same time have no problem sharing their mind and telling me what they see. And if you know the story about Elijah and Elisha, Elisha now is willing to be trained for eight years. Eight years. And in that process, he allowed Elijah to speak into his life. He gave him permission to point out what he needed to address. Very much like we're going to see in this clip. All right, Donnie, get into your stance. 
Make a small target, turn sideways. Okay. You see this guy here staring back at you? Yeah. That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing, and I do believe that in life. Okay? And throw a jab in the jaw. All right, one to the gut. Now, every time you punch this guy, what's he doing? Start one back at That's right. So either you block it, slip it, or get out of the way. So. I'll leave you two alone for a while. Good luck. Look in the mirror and who do you see? You know, when we decide if a fight's actually worth fighting for, it's not going to be easy. Matter of fact, there's going to be all types of challenges and obstacles, and the biggest obstacle is ourselves. Like, how true is that? Now, do me a favor. Take out your phone. All right? Because I know, come on, you all have it. Half of you are on Facebook already or Instagram, so take it out. Now, open it up and uh, enter your passcode or your thumbprint or whatever type of uh, crazy thing we're in, and go to your camera app and take out your camera, right? And then on my phone, at least on the lower right-hand can, there's a little squirrely thing that, that flips it around and you can do a selfie. You know what I'm talking about. I think I don't need to explain this to our, our younger people. Now, I would like you to look at your phone and look at yourself. Can you do that? All right? Can, can you do that? Now, um, now, hold it up. Hold your phone up. Come on, let's see you hold your up. Come on, hold your phone up. And, and you got your picture in there? Like, I'm going to do it like this. You see that? Now, hold it up and take a picture of yourself. Can you do that? Can you do that? Can you take a picture of yourself? Have you done that? All right. Now, now, now go back, back up, go into that little left-hand corner where the picture is and uh, pull out your picture and take a look at it. And uh, uh, now repeat after me as you're looking at your picture. There's your biggest problem. <laughs> no, I think some of you are missing the point. Repeat after me. There's your biggest problem. You know, 2 Timothy 2 says, uh, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, to be able to teach, to be patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. One of the translations puts puts uh, verse 25 that in humility correcting those it says in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves isn't that interesting see you will never lead in helping people until you understand that they themselves are their biggest opposition you know getting mad at somebody doesn't help when you're trying to work with people you know you got to keep in your mind remember those who oppose themselves you just took a picture and maybe in that picture somebody next to you photobombed it that's that's quite possible but our greatest threat, our greatest opposition is ourselves, is it not? It's not the photobombers. We want to think that the problem is out there, that the problem is the lighting, that the problem is all this. But, but Rocky, again, in the spirit of scripture, stands Donnie, and he actually stands us, because we're watching this, in front of the mirror, and he says to us, here's your greatest threat, here's your greatest opposition. And you think about that. What is it that makes us mad about ourselves that we want to see differently or that we want to change? What is it? Or maybe we don't want to change. And so what do we do if we don't want to change? We lie, don't we? 
We lie to, to the people around us. We lie to our family. We lie to our friends. We lie to our coworkers. But you know what? We can't lie to ourselves and we can't lie to God. And for some of us, we, we hear that constant negative talk in our head. And that, that, that talk that, that comes from the world that says you're a loser and you suck and you can't do anything and you're no good. And that's why you and I need people to train us. We need somebody in our corner who speaks words of life, who speaks encouragement, who speaks love and supports us in our lives. Who's doing that in your life? And again, it's more than just about me and who's in my corner. And what I love about this movie is that it opens our eyes that we don't just do life alone or for ourselves, but rather we do life with others. And we're supposed to do life for others. In other words, whose corner are you in? Watch this clip. Look like you lost five pounds. You ought to sit down and eat. I mean, what I look like letting you train me while you sit around and die. Just like any other fight. This fight, I've seen it before. It gets as bad as it can get. And most of the time, you don't win it. I don't care. I ain't training if you don't get the treatment. So if I fight, you fight. Rocky actually collapses in practice and Donnie rushes him to the hospital where Rocky's diagnosed with cancer, a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. At first, Rocky's actually, um, he's initially uh, unwilling to undergo any type of chemotherapy because it wasn't enough to save his, his wife, Adrian, from ovarian cancer when, uh, when she died. And so when Donnie finds out uh, a rift actually happens between the two of them, and Donnie goes out and he makes some stupid choices. But he finds himself now coming back humbly to Rocky. And now the table's literally turned, and he sees that Rocky can't do it on his own. He sees that Rocky needs somebody in his corner as well. And so who, who's in your corner when you get knocked down? Whose corner are you in? But again... Our walk of faith is not just about me. Our consumerist culture makes it about me. But our walk of faith, according to Scripture, is not just about me because we're also called to be in the corner of other people as well. And so Donnie begins to speak words of encouragement over Rocky and stands in his corner, and I love it. And he says, if I fight, you fight. You know, you can't 
You and I, we, we, we can't fight alone. We need each other's back. And little did these two fighters know how much they would eventually need each other. And at the same time, it's true for many of us. Somebody may need your help, people. Somebody may need your love. Somebody may need your support. And one day you'll discover that maybe you need them just as much as they need you today. And I think sadly many Many people think family is limited to those who are just biologically related to you. But as Jesus followers, we actually have this much more broader, more more inclusive view of family. We call it the church. And I'd argue that one of the most meaningful things that somebody can say to you in the church is like, you are like family to me. And we recognize that God can turn a friend into family. And again, that's a whole other theme that runs through this movie. Eventually the word gets out uh, that Donnie is Apollo Creed's illegitimate son. And the handlers of the world light heavyweight champion, pretty Ricky Conlon. You say it with a British accent. And who's soon to retire, and I'll leave that up to you. Or he offers Donnie this opportunity to fight the champ, provided that Donnie changes his name. There's that theme again to Adonis Creed. And Donnie box at first because he wants to form his own, forge his own legacy. He wants to form his own identity. But eventually he agrees. And so in a battle if that's very reminiscent of Apollo and Rocky's first fight, like it's mirrored obviously, Adonis fights Conlon. He fights Conlon in his hometown of Liverpool. And he surprises almost everyone by going the distance. And he pushes Conlon to his limit. And then this happens. Watch the movie. Green fires a hard body punch. Conlon in trouble. Hard left hand to the body. The champ is in bad shape, Jim. Creed realized he has a better chance of hurting Conlon to the body than to the head. Creed staggers back. Body, body, body. To the body, trading shots. Pawing with his jab, Creed looks to land one big shot. It's Hollywood. Creed just got up like a man possessed. He was down but not out. Conlon thinks he's celebrating a knockout. But the referee is dusting Creed's gloves. Creed beats the count and the action. <laughs> oh, you want to see the end. You know, he gets knocked down, obviously, and he hears Rocky and others telling him to get up, to keep going. And it's interesting because when you and I purpose the things that are worth fighting for, let's be honest, we're, we're going to get knocked down. And when you and I get knocked down in life, we're going to need somebody in our corner to help us get back up, to help us continue on. 
We need people to walk beside us just like this. You know, cheering us on, encouraging us, you know, yelling, you can do it. That's a whole different movie, but they're yelling that. Like, who's in your corner? Or better yet, whose corner are you in? Who are you encouraging in their fight, in their battle, in their purpose? When they are knocked down, and you can see that they're knocked down. And to me, the church is to be like what we see here on the screen. Encouraging those in the fight of life to keep on going. The person or people that you want in your corner are those people that believe in you. And anytime a boxer, you know, they step into the ring, they know they're going to get hit. They expect to get hit. They expect to get hit in the face, in the head. They expect it to be painful. The question is not if you're going to, you know, get knocked down, but rather when are you going to get knocked down? You know, and you and I in life, in this game we call life, we've been knocked down before. We've all been bloodied. We've all been bleeding bleeding and if it, if you haven't been there I'll tell you it's going to come and it's going to come like a sucker punch at times and 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 we all need that person or those people in our corner that's going to yell get up just get up because sometimes it's just easier for us to stay down, to stay in our beds, and to give up on life, and to give up on relationships, and to give up on people, and to give up on our dreams, and maybe the dreams that God has placed deep with inside of us. But I'm here today to tell you, don't give up. And maybe you walked in through this door, and that's exactly how I feel. Whatever you do, don't give up. Ask for help. Ask for those people that, that you want to look up to that can invest in your life, that can encourage you and guide you because that's exactly what Adonis does with Rocky in his life. And at the most critical point of the junction of life intersecting itself, he needed that voice saying, get up. February 26, 1964, just before I was born, in Miami, there's this young guy by the name of Cassius Clay. He was fighting Sonny Liston for the heavyweight title. Muhammad Ali goes on to say that Liston was the strongest man I'd ever fought. Every time I hit him, he hurt me worse than it did him. I gave him everything I had. When the sixth round ended, I was completely spent. I couldn't raise my arms. I couldn't stand up to go back into the ring. I'm going home, I told Angelo Dundee. That was his manager and trainer. I'm not going back in there. And Dundee pushed himself into the ring. He screamed at me to get ready for the seventh round. I can't do it. I'm going home, I said. And then the bell rang and Dundee pushed at me and screamed, get in there and don't come out until you're the heavyweight champion of the world. That sounds like bad parenting, doesn't it? <laughs> Ellie struggled to his feet and the rest is history. Sonny Liston didn't answer the bell and Ali became the champion, and Ali goes on to say this. He goes, most people might think that my greatest lesson was keeping on, keeping on. Uh, make one last effort. You know, get up every time you're knocked down. Those are all true, but they aren't the greatest lesson I've learned. The greatest lesson I've learned is to have somebody pushing you and making you do things you don't think you can do. Now, I want to remind all of you here this morning that God is in your corner. Even if you feel that nobody else is. Romans 8, it says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. 
how will he not also, along with them, graciously give us all things? It goes on to say in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, and now, now Paul's crowning statement of this passage comes up. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able, and I love this, to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Although we at times, look, at we're, we're all nearly knocked down. Scripture assures that we're never knocked out. God is in our corner because, of, you know, and it's interesting because, because of persecution in the first century. Christians often fought diligently for physical and spiritual survival. You know, such hardships caused them to wonder if their newfound faith would actually be defeated. You know, and here in Romans 8, Paul assures them that they may have been knocked down, but they're going to be victorious. He writes again in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4, he says, we are, I love this, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Get up, Donnie! Maybe today you're, you're actually literally in the fight of your life. Maybe today you need to hear that God is in your corner. There are crucial moments in Paul's life as we go through the New Testament where his belief in God was severely tested. Uh, in Acts 14 in the city of Lystra where Paul was stoned by the townspeople, and he was left for dead. Paul had just been preaching the gospel. He actually just healed a cripple, and, you know, how could God let this happen? What's going on? You know, we feel defeated sometimes when, you know, when we're wronged or even when we're doing the right thing and something bad happens to us, right? It just takes the air out of our our sails, but hard times come to everybody. We're not alone in that. And we have things that go wrong. And look, people, we get sick. We lose our job. We go through a separation. We go through divorce. We walk through death with people. A catastrophe may happen. And sometimes we may feel that, you know, how come God's abandoned me? And Paul went through many terrible events. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was jailed. He was betrayed. He was persecuted. But he still had a total faith in God that was with him. He even wrote in Romans, all things work together for good for those who love God. You know, we're, we're plagued by the cruel events of this world. We have poor self-images, right? We, we have these lopsided understandings of Scripture and of, of God's nature and who God is. We don't, you know... We don't see God's true feelings towards us. It's very clouded, very blinded. But God has unveiled. He has pulled back the curtain, displaying before the world his love and all its matchless tenderness and grandeur. Paul describes it as having breath and the length and the depth and height. He goes on to say 
In Romans, he says, Very rarely will anybody die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love in us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like That's a wow verse. That's like, what love? And Paul assured the Roman Christians that, that no enemy has a greater power than the almighty power. And if God is for us, who can be against us is what he writes. And the logical answer is nobody. No one can defeat us because God is that ultimate power. So come on, church, how big is your God? Is your God just a deity you leave at church on Sunday who, who can't hear or see? Not me, I'll tell you. My, my God is the maker of the stars. He, he causes that wind to blow. He causes that sun to shine and the snow to fall. Yeah, he does. He causes it, and he orders the future, and he has all power and infinite resources. And he knows me. He even knows the numbers of the receding amounts of hair on my head, and I know he cares for me. And if your God is small, people, he's not going to ask much of you. You know, just visit church occasionally. Come to this one. Go to that one. Get your fix. Don't sin too greatly. You know, just a little bit. You know, you don't expect much from God. That's our culture. But if your God is a living God, the God of Paul, the God of Elijah and Elisha, then nothing can separate you. That God, that he is on your side and he's planning all things out to eternally. And I believe this with all my heart to bless us. Now you got to develop trust during uh, our veil of tears at times. But that trust will equip us to reign with him throughout eternity. Now watch this clip. I should have stopped this one, your father. I'm stopping this one now. Don't, okay, let me finish. I gotta prove it. Prove what? I'm not a mistake. Rocky wants to call the match. Adonis is a little bit beat up, just a tiny bit. He can't even see out of his one eye, obviously, but he's not about to give up. And he goes back in and he lays a licking on Conlon in true Rocky fashion. And in very similar to the very first Rocky flick, our, our hero loses. Yes, he loses. I'm sorry if you haven't seen the movie. But he loses by a split decision. But if he only had more time. However, Adonis does win the respect of the crowd. And he also wins the respect of his adversary, Conlon, which actually makes us ready for the sequel of Creed Two. by the way, just throwing it out there. But notice how Adonis in that scene felt that he had something to prove, that he had to prove, interesting enough as you watch the whole, that he's not a mistake. He's not a mistake. He had to give himself permission to borrow his father's legacy, to take on his father's name. And when he steps into that ring, not only is he trying to earn this victory, he's also trying to redeem his name, his identity, creed 
Mistakes don't define us, people. Creed's problem was forgiveness and, and accepting it and practicing it, actually. And he's not a mistake. There was nothing deeply wrong with this guy, and yet you loved him from the time you first see him on screen. Failure is not our identity. And until you come to the point of finally understanding that the problem lies, it lies here in, in our head. The problem lies here when you're looking at yourself in the mirror. And, and the problem for Adonis was learning to forgive and releasing that and stopping the blame and stopping the projection. And until he could come to terms with that, he came to the realization then that he was not a mistake. And I think the cool thing about scripture is that Jesus is very clear that our failure, that failure is not our identity. The whole message of Jesus as we walk through Matthew is, it, 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 the message of Jesus to the planet is that you're not a mistake. That God has a plan and a purpose for you. And today somebody actually needs to hear you're not a mistake. You know, maybe you think you're fatherless, but you have a new father. The Bible says that he has given you a new name. You are his masterpiece, created to do good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. You know, I've made many mistakes in my life. And contrary to some people's opinion, even though I've made mistakes, I'm not a mistake. <laughs> it was actually interesting. I had a conversation with a guy who asked me, what was the biggest mistake you have ever made? Isn't that interesting? What a question to ask somebody. What was the biggest mistake? I'm not a mistake. I'm here to tell you that you're not a mistake, and your mistakes don't define you. They don't have to define who you are, which is why we need people that are going to speak resurrection power of Jesus into the, our lives. Those words of life instead of words of death. And if we listen to the world, if, if we watch the news and you know, all we hear is death and destruction, I want somebody in my corner who's going to be positive, who when they yell at me, when I feel down and out, they're actually still going to support me and encourage me. That's exactly what Elijah did for Elisha. When we track how Elisha followed Elijah for eight years, we see that the route was not a straight line. It was kind of all out of sorts. For eight years, they wandered all over the place. But it wasn't about the route, people. It was about the relationship. It wasn't about the where. It was about the who. In 2 Kings 2, we're coming to the end of Elijah's life. And when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, please tell me what I can do before you before I'm taken away. And Elisha's response was, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Now, it's interesting because there's some out in our Christian tribe that interpret this as what Elisha was actually asking was, was for money or wealth, when in reality, it actually has nothing to do with that. But rather, he was asking for a spiritual blessing, double what Elijah had. And I love what Elijah says. He doesn't say you can't do it. He doesn't say no way. And he doesn't say, oh, sure, here it is, no problem. He says, you have asked a difficult thing. 
And he replied, if you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. And I'll just say, say regarding this story that Elisha did see Elijah taken away. So Elijah sought to be a blessing to others and he was used of God throughout his life right up to the end. And Elisha was truly committed to God's calling no matter what. And he followed this guy for eight years all over the place and he knew who he was and that God had a plan for him and was willing to put everything else behind to find his purpose. He was a servant. Elisha was a disciple, one who behind the scenes, he learned to trust, he learned to serve, he learned to obey. And Elijah, on the other hand, was willing to be that leader. He was willing to be that cheerleader. He was willing to step out and to take on responsibilities and to cheer on a younger person and to be in their corner. So I'm going to close with three questions. What are you fighting for? Who is in your corner? And whose corner are you in? Let's pray. God, you loved us from the moment of our conception. Scripture says that you knew us and you loved us in the womb. You loved us and you called us before the moment of our first breath. And you loved us when we first saw that, that, that light of day. And as a parent loves their child before they ever see it, you loved us. And, and I thank you for that. So help us, dear God, to love one another in this way. God, from the time of our naming, you loved us in our growing and and you held us as we took our first steps. You, you loved us and you walked beside us as we explored the world with, with eager hands and steps and eyes. And as a parent loves her child, as they see it grow and develop, so you love us. And we thank you. So help us, dear God, to love one another in this same way. And God, as we mature, as we, as we seek our way, you love as we become aware of the world around us. You love us as we smile and play. You even love us when we say no or even when we begin to stray from you. And as a parent sees their child, as they see it become proud and tall, so you love us even when we sin and fall. So help us, God, to love one another in this way. We thank you, God, for loving us when we're unloving, for caring for us when we're uncaring, <laughs> for calling us when we go far away. So help us, God, to love one another in this same way. Hear our prayers of love this day for those who are around us, for those we have held before you in our time of sharing, for those we have thought in our moments today of just simply caring. And we thank you for this time and we ask that you would open our hearts and give a, 
us eyes to see and ears to hear to help us know that what we are fighting for and who we need in our corner and in whose corner we need to be in. We may not know right now, but we trust that you would reveal that to us. And so remind us, God, that you are always with us ultimately, that you are the champion of heaven and that you are there for us and not against us. I love you and thank you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, the friend of sinners. Yes. And we all said, amen. Why don't you stand with me? In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for his blessing. One receiving the blessing did likewise. Next week, the question I'm going to ask you is, who or what is driving you? I'll just leave it there. As you enter a new week, may you experience God's presence, soul sanctuary. My prayer is that you would feel God's pouring out the Holy Spirit over your heads, your thoughts, and the words of your lips, over your hearts, your feelings, and your emotions, and your compassion for others, and over your hands and your feet, and as you put into action all that God has commanded you. So during this week's soul, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each of you, I pray. Amen. And we'll see you next week.